and welcome to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. I want to welcome everyone who's joined us online. Uh, great to have you here. We're, uh, we're loving you and praying for you and excited that you get to join us, even if you're not here in person, although it is better in person. Am I right? They all said no. All right. <clears throat> well, we're going we're gonna to start a new study, and I've, I've been dreaming and looking forward to this study for, uh, for more than a year, really. Uh, and we're going to start this study on the, on the life of Abraham. Uh, why Abraham, you might be thinking. Um, well, in part, because I, I think it's a good idea to kind of take a, a short break from our, our studies to the New Testament epistles. We study those letters and, and in great detail, we're not rushing through them in any way. And then as a way to kind of change it up a little bit, I thought it'd be great to go back to uh, some of the, the Old Testament saints, some of the, the stories in the Old Testament in particular, and watch how God worked in, those, in the lives of those men and women. And, and see if we can draw some parallels and some things that we could uh, apply in our own lives today. And so I kind of, I kind of view this as like looking at these profiles of grace in the heroes of our faith, right? These, these understanding how God's grace worked in their lives and how it also can work in our own lives. And I, and I think Abraham's a great character for that. There's, there's a lot for us to learn and discover in the life of Abraham. So throughout the study, what we're going to discover is we're going to see that Abraham was a very fearful man full of fear and nerves and, and very timid. In fact, he was so scared that he ended up prostituting his wife to protect himself and make some money off of it twice. That's our father, Abraham, right? Uh, he struggled to lead his family, which led to all kinds of infighting. He struggled to obey God and was partial in the obedience over time. Uh, and he doubted God. He doubted God about what God promised him uh, and to the point where he actually took matters into his own hands, trying to do it himself. And so there's a, there's a lot of parallels we can draw from that, but that's not all. That's the life of Abraham. We're also going to see that he, he did trust God. That yes, the obedience was partial over time, but he still trusted God and he followed God. I mean, he followed God to a part of the world that he had no idea where he was going. He'd never seen before. He never experienced before. And it wasn't like God gave him the roadmap and says, okay, we're going to start here. By Thursday, we're here. By next Friday, we're here. And this is where you're going to end up. Here's the itinerary. He didn't know. He just had to follow God and trust God. And as a result, he got to enter into a covenant relationship with God. A covenant relationship that would eventually lead to, lead to Jesus. And because of that, Abraham is now called the father of our faith. Because that covenant that God made with Abraham is the same covenant that he's made with you and I. It's a new covenant. And so it's why Abraham, who is justified by faith, is also true for us that we're justified solely on the basis of faith. But maybe the greatest thing that could be said of Abraham is what God says of him. God says that Abraham was his friend says it on multiple occasions in, in scripture. And, and I think that's amazing that despite the, the, the poor choices that Abraham makes over his lifetime, over and over again, some of them multiple times, 
God still says, this is my friend. I'm, I'm wanting to be associated with this man. I love what one commentator had to say about this idea of being a friend. And I think it, it's applicable for you and I. So he says this, the term friend exalts Abram, but it also brings the patriarch down to our level. Most of us are aware that we will never likely become lawgivers like Moses. We're unlikely to become generals for God like Joshua or kings like David. We will not be prophets except in the sense that we are called to be witnesses for Christ. But although we cannot be lawgivers, kings, generals, or prophets, we can be what Abram was, a man who heard God and believed that God can be trusted to do what he says he will do, who has based his entire life on that conviction. That's this friend of God, and that's what we get to be as well. So let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we start this study, I, I pray for the entire time we're studying this, however many years it takes. I'm excited, Lord, to draw the parallels and to discover how God's, your grace worked in Abram's life and how it can work in our life and how we can trust you more, how we can experience your life more and that we can know you and experience that loving relationship as our friend. In your name we pray, amen. Well, it was, uh, it was about a year ago, if you remember, we did the study on Genesis 1 to 4. And that was sort of a, a great section there to kind of study. And now we're going to kind of begin Abraham's story in, in chapter 12. Um, and one day I hope to, to visit and, and study chapters 5 through 11 in some detail. But we're going to kind of skip over them. But I do think it's important to kind of... Uh, at least acknowledge what takes place in those chapters, chapters five through 11. So in chapter five, there's just a lot of genealogy, uh, you know, Seth all the way down, uh, in, you know, so-and-so had this son and this son and so forth uh, to Noah and so forth. So that's all chapter five. And then in chapter six, it's interesting because we see this seemingly odd, seemingly weird uh, account of where the sons of God, the angels or some call them watchers come down and they take women to be their wives and they produce these giants, these things called Nephilim. And that's going to be a key story, part of the story that's going to matter to Noah's flood, but also later on when Israel comes to conquer Canaan. Um, but what it shows us, it, God says, is that at this point, that man's heart is only continually evil. All he's thinking about is evil thoughts, selfish thoughts, murderous thoughts, horrible thoughts. And, and so we see the beginning of chapter six, and then the second half of six, we meet this man named Noah. And God's got a plan where he's going to wipe out and kind of restart through Noah. And so we got Noah's flood and in, in chapter seven, eight, and nine, uh, and, and the story of all that. Uh, and then in chapter 10, we've got what's called the, the table of nations, more genealogy. Uh, and this sort of carries on uh, from, uh, the, from Noah all the way to Abraham, in fact. Uh, but in there, we see Genesis chapter 11, we see this, the account of the Tower of Babel. And, you know, it's again, it's an interesting story. We kind of learn about that maybe in Sunday school. Uh, and, and it's, you know, some maybe look at it. Well, maybe that's just an account for why there's so many different languages in the world. And that's all it is. And they move on. But, but it's much more than that. In fact, it's important to understand the Tower of Babel because it's really significant to the life of Abraham. And at this point now, 
what what mankind is doing it says is they wanted to build this tower they've already started to establish cities one man in particular named nimrod he established eight different cities he was a great warrior mighty man everyone kind of looked up to him great man of stature but at this point it's all about creating a name for yourself creating a legacy so you'll never be forgotten and so in in uh in babylon and they create this tower the tower of babel and their plan was to create this massive monument so that they could reach up to God. And it says, and make a name for themselves. They wanted their own glory. They wanted to be their own God. And so when, when God kind of divides up the nations in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, and he, and he kind of scatters them, what he's really doing is he's like, you don't want me as God. You're rejecting me. And so I'm going to give you what you want. You want to worship yourself. You want to worship other gods. Here you go. And he kind of divided up the nations and divided up the territories and hand them off. And then he begins to take a part of land for himself. And we know this is the promised land. And he says, I'm going to create a people of my own, a people who are going to belong to me. And that's the story of Abraham. And so Genesis chapter 12 is, is really the beginning where God's plan that he had prophesied in Genesis 3. Remember when, when, um, when he was cursing the serpent and he talked about a prophecy of Jesus and how Jesus was going to come and through Jesus that, that serpent was going to be crushed. Well, now it's going to come to fruition. Genesis chapter 12 is really the begin, beginning of that moment where it's all going to happen. And so uh, when we first meet Abraham, he's not actually called Abraham. He's called Abram. And I, I apologize for it to study. I'm going to bounce back and forth. I'm going to try to call him Abram while he's called Abram, but I'm going to go back and forth. So just understand they're, they're, they're not talking about two different people. But Abram was originally from a place, a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And there's some debate in the scholars as to where that is. Uh, some scholars place it in the south towards uh, where Babylon is, which is in uh, modern day Iraq. Uh, but I think the more likely case actually is, is north of Israel in, in modern day Turkey. And, I, and there's lots of reasons for that that aren't really critical. And, and maybe it doesn't really matter where he's coming from other than the fact that he's coming from the other side of the Euphrates. And, and that's significant because that's not the territory that God has claimed for his own. Now, Abram is the, uh, the son of a man named Terah, which makes him uh, the, the great, 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 great grandson of Noah. All right, there's 10 generations between Noah and, and Abram at this point. Uh, what's interesting is Abraham shows up about 350 years after the flood, two years after Noah finally dies. But of those other nine generations between um, uh, Seth, who would have been his great time six grandfather uh, and, and Abram, only one of them has passed away. All the rest of them are still alive and still living for much of Abram's life. So it's interesting to me, and particularly Seth, Seth saw firsthand the miracle of God, the provision of God. He, he's not like, oh, I learned this story thousands of years ago in Sunday school about this thing called the flood. No, he lived it. He, he, he knew his daddy. He, he experienced all that. 
And, and so these stories, they have witnesses in all of this. And, and that's significant, I think, because, you know, even the Tower of Babel is only about one or 200 years before Abraham, uh, his birth. Now, I don't know how much he interacted with these people, but what's interesting is, is his father, Terah. So his father, Terah, it says for us at the end of Genesis 11, that he began to have kids at age 75. And it lists three of them. It lists Abram, uh, um, Haran, and Nahor. Now, Abraham wasn't born when Terah was 75 years old. Uh, That's just when he started having kids and the three of them were not triplets. So Abraham is likely the middle child and Haran is likely the oldest. So when Terah was 75, he likely had Haran as a child, but it's not until he's uh, about 130 years old that Abraham shows up or Abram shows up. We know that because when Terah dies at age 205, Abraham is, is 75 years old. Now, Haran would die when he was, quote unquote, young, uh, so long before Terah died. And we don't know why he died, but he left behind a son named Lot. That's Abram's nephew. And that's going to be significant because for much of Abram's life, he doesn't have any kids, but he wants an heir. So he kind of adopts Lot as his heir. Lot is going to be the one that he's going to pass everything on to. But there's something significant about Terah and his family. And we learn about it in Joshua chapter, chapter 24, verses two and three. And it, we learn that Terah was a family of idol worships, idol worshipers. And, and that makes sense being on the other side of Euphrates. And that's why it's significant up in the Ur of Chaldeans. That's where they would have worshiped all these other gods. And Terah was one of those. And he would have raised his kids that way. In the same way, you adults that are here, you're worshiping God and you're bringing your kids, you're raising your kids up to worship God. Well, that's what Abraham grew up in. Terah would have been training his kids, teaching his kids, these are the gods we worship. These are the gods we bow down to. These are the gods that are gonna look after us. And they're all idols. They're not, they're not Yahweh. They're not the most high God. And so despite the fact that family Noah and Shem have survived the flood, despite seeing all that and being witnesses of that, it didn't matter to Terah. He's worshiping all these other gods. And I think that's significant in the sense that, that where you're from doesn't guarantee anything. Now that cuts both ways, right? It means that just because you grow up in a Christian home doesn't make you Christian. Right? There's a moment in each and every individual's lives where you choose who's going to be your God. And so while Noah trusted God, generations later, we have Terah. And he chose to worship these idols, these false gods. But it works the other way as well. Maybe you grew up in a home that didn't know God, that didn't worship God, that maybe rejected God. But guess what you get to do? You get to trust God. You get to follow God. And that's the story of Abram <laughs> that he chose to follow a different path. So turn in your Bibles with me to, to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start in chapter 11, verses 31, 32, because this is most of what we know about the life of Terah. So it says in the beginning of verse 31, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son's Abram's wife, And they went out together from the Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. 
Now you read those verses and, and it would seem that <clears throat> it was Tara's idea. You know, we're here in Ur and let's, let's move. Let's find new opportunities. Let's, let's go. And he gathered up Abram. He gathered up Lot. He gathered up Sarah and off they went. But that's not actually the case. And, and we know that because we've got other passages that speak to that fact. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter seven, we've got Stephen's big speech that he delivers right before he gets killed, right before he's the first martyr. And he's delivering this speech to the high priests and the other leaders within Israel. And he's recounting to these, these leaders the story of Israel. So he says in Acts 7, verse 2, he says, he, in verse 4, he says, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was still in Mesopotamia. That's the land beyond the Euphrates before he lived in Haran. So God called Abram, but while he was in Ur, before he got to Haran, he said, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him moved to this country in which you are now living. So it's not that God called Terah or Terah got this weird idea. God called Abram while he's in her, while he's in Mesopotamia and he's inviting him. He says, come, come to this land. I'm going to show you. Leave everything, leave your father, leave his household, leave everything behind. Just come with me. And what does Abram do? Let's go, everybody. Dad, come with me. Lot, come with me. <coughs> Let's go. We're going to move towards Canaan, this new land that God's calling, but he stops short. He stops in Haran, which again is north of the Euphrates, the wrong side, so to speak. And it says he settled there or he dwelt there, which means he, he built a home. He laid down roots. He established a, a permanent residence in Haran, this place of delay. And he waited. I think in part he waited because I don't think Tara wanted to go for Tara to cross the Euphrates was to abandon his gods was to abandon all that he had known. And he didn't want to do that. And so Tara was refusing to go. So should Abram stayed? No, he should have left. Remember what God said, leave your father, leave your household. He didn't need Tara, but he didn't want to go. He didn't want to let go. And so I think what we can begin to infer here is that he's already beginning to struggle to trust. Now he's partially doing what God asked, right? He, he did leave her. Hey, that's something he's moving in the right direction. He begins to move South in Haran. Hey, that's, that's something good, but he's still afraid, afraid to abandon all that he's known. He's afraid to be alone. So he brings his father and his household. He, he brings his nephew lot because he still needs that air. We see Abram is tentative. He's holding back. He's protecting himself rather than trusting God. He's trying to live with one foot in, in two different, or one foot on, or two feet in different places. It's like having a foot on the dock and a foot on the boat. That may work for a time, but it doesn't end well. And I bring all that up because I bet you some of us here, and I mean by some all, can relate where God's asked us to do something, where he's given us an instruction. He's, he's spoken to us very clearly <clears throat> and we see it, but we don't follow it. 
Maybe we do it in part. Maybe we do partial obedience, but we don't fully trust him with it. We stay closed off. I want to hold on to some control because that's what's going to make me feel safe. Then I'll know that I'm okay. And we're not fully trusting him. And so maybe God has called you somewhere. He's called you to do something and you're unsure. You're unsure. You're afraid. You're, maybe you're thinking that what he's called you to is too big. It's too grandiose. It's too impossible. Or, or maybe you're just terrified because it leaves you too vulnerable, too scared, too exposed. Are we baptizing you? Or? Thank you. <clears throat> And so maybe as a result, you're in your own dwelling of Haran and you're afraid to move forward, but I want you to know God's patient. He'll keep calling you. He'll keep fighting for you. If necessary, at times he'll even push you because what he's offering you and I is far greater than anything you can dream or want for yourself. So we see at the end of chapter 11, Terah dies. And there's nothing now for Abram to stay in Haran. And so now we come to Genesis 12, beginning in verse one. And it says, now the Lord said to Abram. And again, some translations actually said, now the Lord had said, emphasizing the fact that, that God had already called Abram when he was in Mesopotamia. And but maybe God's come back to, to Abram and said, hey, remember? Remember what I offered you? Come, follow me. So this is what he says to Abram. He says, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land, which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, you will be blessed. <clears throat> I want you to note that the God, God is the author of all this, right? It's not Abram, you need to go and do all this. It's God saying, I will. And there's six I wills that he says, he says, I will lead you and show you the land that I will give you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who revile you or a curse you. <clears throat> really, we can break this blessing up into three parts. There's a personal blessing for Abram. There's a national blessing for a nation that's going to come from him. And then there's a blessing for the entire world and all this. So let's, let's kind of examine this in some detail. First that personal blessing. God says, I will bless you, make your name great and make you a blessing wherever you go. Now, does this mean that Abram was following God because it was promised to him like a lottery ticket? Like, hey, you know, if I follow God, I'm going to get everything I want and it'll be easy. And that's why I'm going to follow him. Well, maybe, maybe we could infer that. Maybe we can come to that conclusion that it's simply that he just got something out of God and therefore is worth his time. But fortunately, we have more than that. We have insight into what Abraham was really chasing after. And that's through the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11. When he's talking about these great heroes of the faith, the hall of faith, chapter 11 is often called in Hebrews. And he reveals to us what drove Abraham. 
So in Hebrews 11, 8 to 10, you don't have to turn there. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now notice it doesn't go to all the details. He obeyed it partially. And then he stopped and he screwed up. And then, no, no, he did obey. Took 40 something years, but hey, he did it. And so God says he obeyed going out, not knowing where he's going. <clears throat> by faith, he lived in an, as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents. That's going to be important later. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That city wasn't, wasn't a structure because he didn't see it, right? He's living in tents. The city whose foundation is, is God. That's what he's looking for. He was looking to know God. He was looking to experience the kingdom of God. That's where he was going not even knowing where, where I was going to be found, where it was going to be discovered. That's where he was leading to. And I love that. Think about that. Has God ever asked you something without giving you all the details? And he says, trust me. Trust me on that one. Well, that's Abram's story. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what it's going to look like. He has no clue. And God says, will you follow me? And Abram said, yes, because he says, wherever you are, that's where I want to be. I want you, God, not what you can do for me or give me or, or comforts in this world. I simply want you. That's where he was after. So if we go back to Genesis 12, verse, verses four to seven, <clears throat> we're kind of see what Abraham begins to do. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. So again, partial obedience, right? God said, leave your household. Still bringing them along. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. They crossed over the Euphrates. They enter into this land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he, Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he, he leads him here and he's about, if you kind of look on a map where Shechem is, it's sort of kind of halfway through Israel. And then God says, look around. This land is going to belong to you and your descendants. Now, what's kind of interesting is in this passage here in chapter Genesis 12, verses one and three, where we see the blessing, it's that's the blessing in whole. That's the call of Abraham. But the rest of Abraham's life that we're going to discover over these next, what, uh, 14 chapters, basically, is we're going to discover what that blessing looks like in more detail. And so he's revealing a little bit of that detail saying, here's the land. You know, it's, it's not in modern day Iraq or Persia or, or in Africa. No, it's, it's here in Canaan. This land is your land now, and it's going to belong to your descendants as well. And as we go through our study, we're going to see more of, 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 of he begins to build an altar as a result. And it was like <clears throat> this altar is sort of like a, a, a marker, 
It's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to, to put it, plant a flag and say, this land belongs now to God. And that's what he's doing. And so he goes on in verses eight and nine and says, then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram then journeyed on, continuing toward Negev. That's the southern part of Israel, very desert area bordering on Egypt. But what's interesting is when he goes on to, he didn't camp in Bethel. That's already, it was named Love at the time, L-U-V. Uh, it, it's, it's already a city established, but he didn't stay in the city. He's outside the city between Bethel and Ai, these two cities. And what we're going to see about Abram at going forward now is he never dwells within a city. He's outside the city. And he's always living in a tent. Remember, he pitched his tent. Why is that significant? Because before Abram left Haran and probably in Ur, he lived in a permanent place. The rest of his life, he's going to be a nomad. He's not, even though he's been given this land, he doesn't experience that possession himself. He's a foreigner, a stranger in the land. It's not going to be until some 400 plus years later that his descendants are going to begin to own and experience the land. All Abram's doing is he's, he's living there as a stranger. And I think that's, again, that's significant for us. In a few ways. Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember what, what mankind was trying to do? Try to make a name for himself. Try to build a legacy. And in, in Genesis 11, it, it talks about this man named Nimrod. Remember the man, I told you about Nimrod, a mighty warrior. He's founded eight cities, including Babylon. Everyone kind of looked up to him. This guy was, he was moving places and he was going places. Like he was doing stuff. And he establishes all these cities. But how many people know the name Nimrod today? I grew up knowing the name Nimrod. It was an insult, right? Right? You would, you would call, Will, you're a Nimrod, right? That, that's not a, a compliment. So I'm, I had to look it up. I'm like, but it says Nimrod's this great man, a great warrior. Why would it be an insult today? Well, it turns out that someone wrote a book 500 plus years ago or so. And in there, he had a character named Nimrod who was a klutz. That's the Nimrod that's known today. Everyone knows Nimrod the klutz. No one knows Nimrod in Genesis 11. A forgotten character. Someone who tried to make a name for himself, failed. And then you have Abraham. who God says, I will make your name great. I will establish you. Some 4,000 years after Abraham walked the earth, He's still well-known. He's the father of our faith. He built a legacy that no man could ever compete with. And yet he never had a permanent home, always moving, always living life as a, as a, as a nomad. And I think there's some similarities for us. We're strangers in this world. This is not our permanent dwelling place. We're not creating a kingdom for ourselves in this worldly kingdom. We're part of something way bigger. And maybe we see it. Maybe we see the coming of Jesus. Maybe we don't. Maybe it's our descendants too, as the case of Abraham. 
but that's who we get to experience. So he's, he's promised to have a personal blessing on Abraham. Next one was a national blessing, right? Verse two, I will make from you a great nation, right? So he picks this man that's outside the territory, brings him in. He says, through you, I'm going to establish an enormous, massive nation, a great nation. And whoever blesses this nation will be blessed. Whoever curses or reviles this nation will be cursed, God says. Talking about the Israelites. You know, the timing is not lost on me. Two weeks ago in a day, um, Hamas, and so we're clear, a terrorist organization, which I can't believe we have to be clear about that, went in and brutally, savagely attacked innocent babies, children, and women and men. Savagery. With the express purpose to utterly destroy Israel. That's their plan. Make no bones about it. They're not even embarrassed by it. In fact, they made a charter. This is our plan. Number one, wipe Israel off the map. Kill them all. That's, that's their words, not mine. And Israel has experienced this many times before. I mean, even in the Bible, we've got a, a, a list of, of incredibly powerful nations. At the time when Egypt was, um, was abusing and put Israel into slavery, they were the superpower. They were the greatest nation on the earth. Later on, it's going to be the Persians that come in and capture Israel. Later on, then it's going to be the Babylonians. And then it's going to be the Romans. Each of them at the time, they were the most powerful nation in the world. What happened afterwards? To the one who reviles you, I will curse, God says. Each of those nations no longer were the superpower after they attacked Israel. And they've never returned to prominence. They lost their power. And maybe they're still around like Rome and Egyptians, but they're not the same stature anymore. But what about today? That's in the Bible. That was before Jesus came to the cross. There's a debate in the Christian Christian circles about the role of Israel. And has the church replaced Israel? And therefore Israel has lost its calling. It's no longer God's people. They're just like any other nation. They're, they're irrelevant now to that. The church is completely separate, completely God's people. And that's all it is. Well, uh, that's too simple of an understanding. Like most difficult things, there's a lot of nuance in there. And we're going to unpack that nuance as we go throughout our study here. But I want you to know, I believe firmly that God is not done with the nation of Israel. And that what we're seeing and have seen in these last few hundred years is still what God's doing. Turn with me. This one's good. Turn with me to Romans chapter chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 25 to 29. Romans 11, 25, 29. Paul's writing about Israel. This is after the cross. This is after Israel. Jews have persecuted Paul. This is where Paul's gone to the Gentiles because the Jews have rejected Jesus. Paul writes to them, he says, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, 
so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Don't be fools. Don't speak without understanding, right? Don't speak without knowledge, he's basically saying. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. A partial hardening, meaning that some Jews can come to faith in Christ, but there's a partial hardening. And what God's plan was to then take this gospel to the Gentiles. Who are those people, by the way? That's us. And really what God wants to do through us is make Israel jealous. He wants, he wants us as Gentiles to experience such an intimate relationship with the God of Abraham, with Jesus Christ, that Israel says, oh, I miss that. So this partial hardening until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And so all of Israel will be saved. Just as it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of his fathers or the fathers because of Abraham, because of Isaac, because of Jacob, because of David. God's not done with Israel. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And we can see it in history. 70 AD, Rome comes in and destroys Jerusalem, sacks it, destroys the temple, all its holy uh, places and everything, gone. And in the next 65 years, drives all the Jews out of the promised land, out of Israel. So by 135 AD, there are none there. And they're scattered across Europe and Africa and all over the world. And they remain that way without a homeland until 1948. 1800 years, no homeland. Now for most people groups, if that were to happen, they disappear. Meaning that they, they intermingle with the other places they go and then they're gone. For example, where are the Philistines today? Or the Edomites? Or the Babylonians. Yeah, that we, their DNA still exists somewhere, but it's so intermingled that as a people group, they're gone. They're not around anymore, but not Israel. And that tells us something because God preserved Israel, preserved that remnant. And so after, after World War II, where 6 million Jews were brutally murdered in World War II, God says it's time. And he brings Israel back to the land, just as he promised, just as he prophesied some 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, that this would happen, that they, when they were scattered, they would come home to their land. And at the time, this land was dry, was infertile. It was an unwanted desert. 75 years later, it's flourishing. Vegetation is growing. Science and technology and research coming out of Israel is leading edge. And despite the numerous attacks and wars from its neighbors, it's thriving. I mean, it's got enemies on all sides and it's not because of the resilience and the strength of the Jewish people. It's because of God and his promises. He's honoring the promise he made to Abram that through Abram, I will make a great nation. I'm not done yet. God says, and I believe that this nation of Israel, along with the land, is going to play a critical role in the return of Jesus. We're already seeing it. I mean, think about it. 
We are watching the prophecies of God come to come to pass right now. It's exciting. Will we all still be around when, when Jesus returns? Well, if we get to Norm's age, probably. <laughs> Love you, Norm. But maybe not. Maybe like Abram, we don't see it come to pass, but our descendants will. Jesus is coming back. Well, now we come to the third blessing, right? There's a personal blessing. There's a national blessing. Now there's a blessing for the world. And this is, this is the best for last. Back in Genesis 12, verse three, he says, and in you, Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This one's for you and I, for the Gentiles. Because eventually through Abram will come a man named Jesus of Nazareth. Seemingly uncommon man, born to a nobody, Joseph and Mary. But this Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham. He's Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, this is incredible. This is, this was Genesis three. We're going to do this. We're going to crush your head, Satan. Know that. Genesis 12, let's start. It all begins. Abraham, come follow me. Abraham, come to this land. I'm going to show you. I'm going to bless you. Even to the point when you fail, you're going to fall forward. That's amazing. Even when he screws up, he comes out ahead. Because God says, I'll bless you. And I'm going to make a great nation from you. And those who bless you will be blessed. And it's true. Think about the West. The West largely has blessed Israel and they have succeeded. The nations that have condemned Israel, they have struggled. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. But this is the best part. And through you will come one who will be a blessing to all the families of all the earth. And so again, in Genesis 12, one to three, we're seeing the blessing in general. And he's going to begin to expand and unpack that one as we go. And that's what we're going to see over a, a number of weeks. But think about it here that God chose the son of an idol worshiper, a fearful, timid, slow to obey, coming from the wrong side of the river kind of guy. He didn't have everything in order. He wasn't some great deep spiritual man. There's hope for you and I. And again, through Abraham comes the, the promise. Let's read it in Galatians chapter three. Verses six to nine. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Notice it wasn't based on his works. It wasn't based on what he did. It wasn't based on his accomplishments. It wasn't based on his heritage. He simply said, God, I believe you. I trust you. I put my faith in you. You, God, are the one I'm going to worship. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was approved. He was accepted. He was loved. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It's not about your genealogy. Do you have Jewish blood in you or not? No, that's not what it is. It's about faith. And because we have faith, you and I are the sons of Abraham. Verse 10, or um, 
Verse eight, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. That's the gospel. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Because we share that faith, we too are blessed. We too can experience this life in in God. Let's close with a quick summary then. So what we're seeing in this life of Abraham is God's march towards redemption. We've seen God's call and invitation really to a man named Abram to experience these promises, these blessings, if he follows him. The same is true for you and I today. And yes, for salvation, there's that, there's that, but even after salvation, will we follow him? Will we trust him? Will we, will we put our faith in him? And we see in Abraham, this blessing the, was in three parts, the personal blessing, because God's going to do it. God made a name for Abraham. Abraham didn't have to do it himself like Nimrod. And therefore, because God did it, it stood the test of time. Abraham couldn't do it on his own. And if anything great was going to happen in his life, bigger, big or small, it's because God's going to do it. Then there's the national blessing, the nation that came from Abraham that continues today with Israel. And despite all the, the, the chaos going over there right now, God's not done. God's still working. Now, please understand, it's not about taking sides because does God love Israel? Yes. Does God, does God love the Palestinians? Yes. Does God love Hamas? Yes. Right? That's why I went to the cross. So that even the Hamas could be saved. And miraculously, we've seen that. The son of one of the co-founders of Hamas has come to faith in Christ. Can't stop my Jesus. And finally, then there's the blessing for the entire world. Today, we are that blessing. We are blessed through Abraham because through Abraham, God brought Jesus and Jesus has redeemed us from sin and death. He's restored us to God. He's included us in his family. Even though we were far away from him, he's brought us close. And now we're one with him. And this Lord God, Yahweh, the most high God is the one that we call our father. This is the one we trust. This is the one we give ourselves over to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we marvel Marvel at what you've done. You call a man who by all accounts is not worthy of being called, who's slow to obey, who's, who's fearful, who's timid, who struggles to trust you. And through him, you bless him. And that's true for us as well. We weren't great. We were your enemy. We were against you at one point. And you called us and we followed in part, holding on to some things, but we trusted you and you honored that trust with salvation, with redemption to be in your family, that we might have the right to call ourselves children of God, to call you our Lord Jesus. 
I pray, Lord, that throughout this study, our faith in you will grow just as Abraham's did. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.